Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash harris-cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I want to pick up today where we kind of left off yesterday, at least in one regard. You know, we are in talking season, right? And talking season is almost over now, by the way. We're about to have practice for the dogs at some point in time next week, and the season is really here at that point. I actually like the off season because I like summer. I like being at the pool, although it's rained a bunch this year. I, I like all the things that go along with summer. Others of you feel a little bit different. Some of you just want to hit that fast forward button and get to the start of the season as quickly as you possibly can. I understand those of you that do feel that way. And if you're one of those people, you should know that it's essentially here. Like the season is upon us. Practice is about to begin. Real practice updates. Real, you know, uh, you know, daily you know progress towards that season over against Clemson that is on its way and we're kind of in that midst right now which is a fun thing to consider but to the extent that we still are in that portion of the football calendar known as the talking season when blowhards like me speaking to a microphone make our preseason predictions and coaches are asked questions and kind of forced to give their assessment of the situation right now really the only thing you can hope from your coach during talking season is he kind of says the right things as you would determine them as someone like me might determine them it's kind of hard to win talking season I think you can lose it you know if you're denying the expectations that exist for your program or if you seemingly have the wrong idea in mind for what leads to the kind of success you want to have I think you can lose talking season I don't know that you can actually win it because sometimes to have one talking season leads to the kind of disappointment that follows that sometimes on the field we've seen examples of that maybe around the sec but as i said before the good news related to all of this is understanding what awaits georgia this year the kind of year where as i said on monday show you've got to sort of do something that's a little bit unexpected georgia's expected to win the sec east that's no longer good enough for some fans georgia's expected to finish just behind alabama in the sec georgia fans want more than that understanding all of that you've got to do something unexpected this year you've got to have individual players who outpace their preseason projection you've got to have enough of those guys add together so that Georgia as a team can outpace what the media thinks is possible for it right now best in the SEC East second best in the SEC if that works out that way maybe possibly on the outside looking in for the college football playoff you've got to do something unexpected to confound those predictions and as we've said if Georgia Georgia's going to travel that kind of path this year. There are really two twin pillars that help get that done for you. On the one side of the ball offensively, you got to have more explosive plays. you got to just be the kind of explosive offense that fills up not just the stat sheet, but the highlight reel, right? You've got to have good-looking, pretty ball plays taking place during the game, and if you can do that, you could be well on your way. And yesterday, I played an audio clip for you that I liked from Kirby Smart, because in that clip, one of the things that Smart talked about was, hey, you know, we like what JT Daniels brings to the table. We like his arm talent. We think he's championship caliber and all the things that Smart kind of said about JT Daniels. And in the same breath, Smart said, and and we've also got to cultivate playmakers. So that's one of the things that Alabama had in 2020 and LSU had in 2019. You had these playmakers that also made the job of the quarterback a little bit easy. Sometimes the quarterback makes the playmaker's job easy, and sometimes the playmaker makes the quarterback's job easy. But either way, in addition to high-quality quarterback play, you got to have those big-time playmakers. And when I hear Kirby Smart say something like that at SEC Media Days, to me, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like at least a step in the direction of talking about putting the spotlight where it needs to be cultivating those playmakers and offense which is a really good thing now that was yesterday here's today and it's a similar type type of uh thought process you know line of commentary but it comes on the defensive side of the ball instead of the offensive side of the ball and our buddy mike griffith who will join us later on wrote about this for dognation.com that's how i actually first became aware of it so i'll give a shout out to mike and we'll talk to him more about this in a moment mike linked to an interview that kirby did with like you know that streaming thing that CBS does, like the CBS Sports HQ or whatever it's called? So Smart does an interview with CBS during SEC media days, and the subject of defense comes up. And there's all this chatter about replacing, you know, guys like Eric Stokes or Tyson Campbell from the defensive secondary. Obviously, you know, departures like Richard LeCount and everything else. But listen to how Kirby Smart, in this clip I'm about to play for you, really zeroes in on what he thinks may be the most important name of all to replace. And... 
this just makes so much sense. And to me, this is exactly where if, if I'm a Georgia fan who wants Georgia to build off what it did a year ago, the way in which Smart describes the need to replace Aziz Ojolari here to me indicates that Smart's line of thought about his defense going into the start of practice, leading into the start of the upcoming season, it is right where I believe a Georgia fan should want it to be. This is good stuff from Kirby Smart, SEC Media Days with CBS Sports HQ. Here's a brief clip. Take a listen to this. The Aziz loss is probably more impactful than maybe even the corners. Both corners were drafted before Aziz, but the loss of that pass rush could be critical if we don't find somebody to replace that. Uh, we feel like we have some good young secondary players. They, they got to go play. You know, that's part of this offseason discussion is who's going to be the key factors. We've got some good young players. They got to grow up and play. So Kirby Smart says, yes, you've heard us talk about secondary before, and that's why I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing i'm adding to what smart saying there but that's why we brought in darian kendrick and that's why we brought in tyke smith and you know clearly eric stokes and and tyson campbell and dj daniel and guys like that are gone from the program but as prominent as any of that maybe even more so is the need to replace aziz ojalar and i personally believe that's a hundred percent true that the single most important individual name that must be replaced whose absence must be accounted for whose prodigious hole left in the stat sheet because of his departure the biggest individual name to consider there i do believe is aziz ojalar and when i hear kirby smart echo what seems to me just an obvious objective truth when looking in at uga it makes me feel really good for georgia's potential ability to actually successfully replace ojalari this year and what's even more so is is this actually is a continuation of what has been a very consistent line of thought from Kirby Smart throughout the entirety of the offseason. Because much the same way there, speaking to CBS Sports HQ, Smart says, yeah, listen, replacing Elzizo Jolari is going to be a really big deal for us. This is also something that Smart spoke about very, I would say, prolifically back during spring practice. And I'm about to play this clip for you, but let me just say this before I do. Obviously, Smart's a guy that likes to play his cards close to the vest, right? I mean, it's his prerogative not to reveal too much about his innermost thoughts, and sometimes he likes to kind of keep that between the white lines in the practice field, and to a degree, we understand why he'd want to do that, right? So understanding that about Kirby Smart, when Smart goes into detail about something, knowing that sometimes he likes to avoid details, then to me, as a fan of this team and as someone who tries to you know, narrate the experience of being a fan for you on a show like this, my ears really perk up. That when Smart is more detailed than he needs to be, whatever he is saying must have the ring of actually being important. And when he brings up a name unsolicited, that's also the kind of thing that has extra importance to me there as well. So if you want to go back to spring practice and on the heels of what we heard Smart say last week about the need to replace Aziz Ojolari, when this topic came up during the spring and a name like Nolan Smith would be the subject of a question, listen to the very detailed answer Smart gives in response to that and the ways in which he shows his personal value of what Ojolari did for Georgia in 2020, which was greatly upgrading the pass rush. This is Kirby Smart from the spring i'm looking for everybody on the defense to improve you know we we have to um create pass rush uh we have to create havoc we have to do those same things i thought last year was probably one of our uh, best years ever in terms of sack production and uh dan has done a good job making that a priority by the way he schemes the defense and the way he calls the defense and we, we had productive rushers but a lot of that was you know what he called and trying to scheme to get guys one on one you know, Travon's the guy that's going to have to have a big year for us. Uh, not only is he replacing Malik, but in a lot of ways he's replacing Aziz. And I think everybody just assumes with Aziz being gone that it's like Nolan's job. It's not like that for us because 60, 70% of the snaps, Travon is Aziz and Nolan is Aziz. They're just one's left and one's right. So both those guys play defensive end a lot. So I think that's really interesting because as we think about guys like Nolan Smith and certainly Adam Anderson as those outside linebackers who provide the replacement for Aziz Ojolari, Kirby Smart back in the spring, also mentioned Trayvon Walker there as one of those guys that potentially does that too. But beyond that, there are a couple of other things that I think are really interesting about what Kirby Smart says. You know, I think there's this thought sometimes that old school coaches might have had of long lines of, I don't care how we win the games, just as long as we win them. But I think in modern times, we know that the way in which you go about building your program makes wins either more likely, especially in big games. And Kirby Smart uses a couple of key buzz phrases there. We have to create pass rush. We have to create havoc. 
The best teams do that, right? I mean, you can be nine and three and be stingy on defense and kind of careful and be gap sound and you know, you know, keep contain and things like that. But the very best teams are also going to be aggressive defensively. That's what we see national champions doing. It's nice to hear Kirby Smart acknowledging that. And the other thing that Kirby Smart says here, and I want to spend just a couple of seconds on this, is that, and I think the maybe the average fan doesn't quite realize just how true this is. He talks about how Georgia took a big step forward last year when it comes to its overall pass rush. And I think one of the things that obscures that was last year was a shorter season. So in some cases, stats, I don't, I'm not saying they mean less last year than they normally do, but they're maybe a little bit more difficult to process because we're used to seeing stats look a certain way on the basis of a 12, 13, 14 game season, whatever else. So here's what I've done for you. I've gone back and looked at the five previous years of Kirby Smart at Georgia, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. And I've tried to demonstrate sacks on the basis of the average number of sacks that Georgia has gotten per game. Let me show you this on the screen here. Kirby Smart says last year was our best year in pass rush. And the stats show just how true that really is. Go back to Smart's first year in 2016, Georgia averaged 2.23 sacks per game. In 2017, a year in which Georgia played in the national championship, uh, played in you know 15 total games and had the best you know up until you know last year the best you know sack performance of the Kirby Smart era still only averaged 2.26 sacks per game over the course of that span 2018 the numbers dipped even more down to just 1.71 sacks per game it was a good defense for Georgia in 2018 but only averaged 1.71 sacks per game it's one of the reasons why before the start of the 2019 season you heard so much during that spring practice about havoc rate and being more aggressive in the backfield Georgia was in 2019 at least in comparison to 2018 uh, but still only averaging 2.21 sacks per game let me show folks once again on the screen what happened in 2020 it's amazing on the basis of a per game average how much better Georgia was in 2020 Georgia averaged 3.2 sacks per game a year ago that's almost a full it really basically is uh, a full sack per game better than any other year under Kirby Smart just slightly less than a full sack but essentially a full sack per game better a year ago than it had been in any other year in the Kirby Smart era dating back to 2016 that's how much better Georgia was with its pass rush a season ago and obviously Aziz Ojolari is a big part of that he had eight and a half sacks in 2020 that's more than any individual performer in the Kirby Smart era so two things are true here Georgia became way better at its pass rush last year, which is an important piece of information for a team trying to take a step towards a championship. But the guy who is the single most important individual contributor to that is gone. So that sets up for a fascinating stage here in 2021. Georgia knowing what it needs to do. Smart hasn't shied away from saying we've got to continue the pass rush momentum we had in 2020, but still trying to identify the guys who it's going to be. The good news is the candidates for this certainly seem robust. Adam Anderson, a lot to like about him. He's already on NFL draft radars. Nolan Smith, a lot to like about him as well. He's the former number one recruit in the country. That still matters. Kirby Smart says, don't forget about Trayvon Walker here, there as well, because of the ways he's going to line up, the ways we're going to use him. I think it's really interesting for Georgia this year. The best teams in the country are those teams that create havoc. They sack quarterbacks. They're active in backfields. Georgia last season took a big step towards looking a lot more like that. And it's nice to hear Kirby Smart say they want to continue that trend into 2021 as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, and happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Also, we're hearing great feedback about the folks who are watching the show right there at dognation.com, right there at the top of the page. When you go to dognation.com, a website you're already visiting every day anyway, our show conveniently placed for you right there at the top. No secret about why we're doing this. This is simply based on the fact that Facebook, a tech platform like that, just doesn't quite send notifications to many of you like you wish it still did. That's become a source of frustration. This is our response to that. You don't have to wait for Mark Zuckerberg to tell you we're live. You can just simply go to dognation.com and see us right there. Also, more fun and surprises coming related to this in the uh, days to come. And a big thanks to our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort for making it all possible. You know, it's a two-hour drive from Atlanta, whether you're talking about the original 
Harris Cherokee Casino Resort property or Harris Cherokee Valley River. I'm talking about casino gaming in the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina, which is so much fun. Also, gourmet restaurants, which are a real treat and a, a great getaway, good food, a part of any kind of experience like that. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort obviously provides that for you. Harris Cherokee Valley River there as well. World-class shopping, luxurious, relaxing spa, entertainment returning to Harris Cherokee Casino Resort there as well. And of course, the uh, sports book is now open too. You can place your wagers on sports right there at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. Really fun stuff all the way around there. Just go to Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee to find out more about that. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. You can find out about all kinds of really fun things going on at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River. All right, we'll have, as I promised, Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of moments. Before that, I want to go around the doghouse. And let me say this here really briefly before we kind of, you know, move on with the rest of this. So I've talked before about the fact that I mean, I am by nature a traditionalist, especially when it comes to college football, because college football, in addition to being my life's work, is also my number one pastime there as well. I mean, so many of you have connected with me because we all just love college football so much. And so I'm always really nervous when the sport has the potential of great change because you're always afraid that the great change that might take place is kind of one of those things that might impact and and make the sport that you've loved less than it once was. And I'm not you know, uh, immune to that. I think about those kinds of things all the time, but there is also this parallel to that, this need to just kind of roll with the punches, whatever they may be. So latest example of that is with the very now likely could come maybe as soon as this week, maybe even, uh, certainly Texas and Oklahoma on their way out of the big 12 and the official announcement from the sec expected sooner rather than later. And this is one of those weird things. It doesn't seem great for college football. I'm not even sure it's great for the SEC, even though the, it's even though it's lucrative and even though it makes the SEC bigger. Sometimes bigger is not necessarily better. I've been a little bit concerned about that. A lot of you have echoed the same kind of sentiment. But at a certain point, you just sort of have to make your peace with it and move on. And now I'm to the point where I can actually officially do that. It's going to happen. It's going to be weird. We'll see if it's better. But unless you want to get run over by the train you have to sort of stand aside and wave at it as it goes by here so that's what we'll do related to oklahoma and texas now joining the sec and we'll just kind of buckle our seat belts and get on the ride and take this thing wherever it goes from here that's just kind of the way that it is so as far as the latest news on this sports illustrated had some reporting on this the athletic has had some reporting on this there as well in fact let me give you a tweet here from nicole auerbach one of the reporters for the athletic in regards to the next domino that's likely to fall or could fall maybe a better way to say this related to texas and oklahoma joining the sec nicole writes on twitter and teases her story by saying that a lot of us hope that the 12-team college football playoff would begin soon as early as 2023 but uh the sec oklahoma texas you know merger here might delay that timeline she says multiple sources believe there will be those involved in the process who want to wait to assess the fallout from this round of realignment so in other words we've said before that one of the things that potentially aided the sec in adding texas and oklahoma was the expanded playoff because all of a sudden now you didn't have to worry about well if i come into this deep of a league and there's only one playoff spot to go around are we hurting our team for instance oklahoma which has used the pillow soft big 12 as a springboard of the college football playoff many times it might be a little bit of a turnoff to think about the sec and a tougher path to playoff but if there's a 12 team playoff there's a lot less to worry about when it comes to that but nicole saying here and ross dellinger from sports illustrated has reported something similar but especially out west there could be a little bit of a well hold on we weren't really consulted too much on this process in fact david shaw the stanford coach has said something about that you know you know pretty explicitly uh at pac-12 media days yesterday of maybe we should make sure this 12 team playoff is something we really want to do here almost as a way of punishing the sec for at least that's the read that i get on it for you know kind of playing nice with the 12 team playoff uh you know recommendation that a lot of folks were involved with a few weeks ago while very quietly moving to to you know uh i guess blow up the sport by adding texas and oklahoma here I mean, here's the weird thing that we're kind of in, though, now when it comes to this. We're almost at the point now where, and you got to be careful, I think, if you're one of these non-SEC entities right now, whether it be a conference, an, an institution, or whatever else. I mean, as we've said over the last couple of days, is there anything related to college football that would surprise you moving forward? So this notion of, well, we're gonna we're not going to cooperate with the SEC on a 12-team playoff because they didn't cooperate with us on conference expansion. 
I mean, you better be careful that the SEC doesn't decide that it doesn't even need the college football playoff anymore. They can just kind of poke the t- poach the teams, whether it be the best of the ACC, the best of the Big Ten, you know, Notre Dame, whatever else. That it just poaches the very best programs in college football, and all of a sudden the college football playoff no longer has a reason to exist because the very best teams competing for a championship are all competing for that championship under the SEC umbrella or whatever the league decides to call itself when the geographic designation makes even less sense than it does now. So these are weird times. I think the weirdness is apparently only beginning but you're starting to see maybe a little bit of a act of retribution from the rest of the sport against the SEC, at least when it comes to some saber rattling about the possible slowdown of college football playoff expansion. Ultimately, that probably ends up not being true, but that's at least the line of thought that's out there right now. We'll make that around the doghouse for you here today. And before I talk to my buddy Mike Griffith, let me also shout out some of my other buddies who reach out to me on social media who are enjoying that finished long drink. What a great time to be enjoying some of that. You know, rainy day at the pool yesterday, but you pull some finished long drink out of the cooler, and that makes even a rainy day enjoyable because we're talking about a great easy to drink ready to drink beverage it's a can looks like a beer but it's actually not it's a ready to drink cocktail that means you can pop the top and just drink it straight out of the can or you can pour it into a glass my wife actually likes to you know kind of put the ice in the glass and pour it in there she kind of enjoys it that way some of you like the long drink cranberry some of you like the long drink strong and let's face it who wouldn't Uh, a lot of you like the long drink zero my favorite is actually still the traditional the original it's the blue can it's like a it's like a gin and grapefruit mix it's a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can uh, a lot of you've been trying it. I, I love to see those pictures of you enjoying it on your vacations and everything you're doing here this summer. If you want to try it for yourself, you haven't yet. If you just go to thelongdrink.com, uh, I was at East Lake Golf Club on Monday. They had it right there at the halfway house. A lot of the golf courses around where I live have got it there as well. It is just a big part of the uh, summer for so many of us. So check it out online, thelongdrink.com, and find out where you can pick up some finished long drink here today. All right, before we're done. I've got kind of an interesting question I want to ask about Nick Saban as it relates to SEC expansion. A specific thought that I'm wondering if he's having that's maybe a little bit different than anybody else's potential consideration and all this. So we'll do that here coming up. But for now, on everything happening around Georgia, everything happening around the SEC, the ever-expanding SEC, let's do it all with our buddy Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Great to have you with us, everybody. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great pleasure to speak to Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And, you know, Mike, I'm not quite so sure if I'm remembering from Thursday when we did uh, Cover 4 Live, seems like you weren't maybe super excited about the addition of texas and oklahoma to the sec uh i'm you know more of a fan than you are so i'll speak more candidly about this i was definitely not excited about it but as time passes and you realize it's going to happen whether i like it or not i think at a certain point you have to just sort of make peace with it buckle your seatbelt, and get on the wild ride wherever it may happen next mentally that's kind of where i am now it's a completely new normal for college football i have no idea where it's going from here but i have to admit i'm pretty fascinated to see how it all plays out where's your thought process on it now having a full week to consider it all well i mean they were going somewhere right they were going to leave the big 12 they made up their minds obviously the sec was was the the best horse to hitch the wagon to you know but if you're the sec would you want texas and oklahoma going somewhere else and and perhaps strengthening the big 10 or the pac 12 and and maybe then your your television contract isn't as big. So, uh, with that being the case, it's it's you know what is it? Josh Brooks that says um, change is inevitable, growth is optional, and uh, you know the change of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big Twelve was uh, inevitable, and it was up to the SEC to decide if they were going to be the conference that they grew with. So, you know that's kind of the way I look at it. I, if you ask me, my you know. What I would have preferred, no, I, I kind of liked it the way it was. I kind of liked the SEC just fine, thank you very much. But, you know, now we're talking about the, the headache of trying to sort out pods or divisions and, you know, the, this wishful, this wishless thinking of, of Texas and Oklahoma fans that Alabama's going to shift to the east with Georgia and Auburn is just, is just absolutely crazy. But, you know, you got to remember, my concerns are this. Uh, you know, these are two schools that have bullied their way through every conference they've been in. We, we had Barry Trammell on on the beat on Monday night, and he pointed that out. And every, every people know, people that have done their homework know, there was a time that Texas and Oklahoma demanded and received 
a larger revenue share than any of the other schools in the in the Southwest Conference and in the Big A. They said, look, we're more important than the rest of you, so we're going to take a bigger cut of the pie. Obviously, that's that's not good for equality. Uh, that's not good for parity. That's not good for fairness. But they are so popular that they demanded it. In fact, I read somewhere where Oklahoma and Texas together have a market value that's greater than the other eight teams in the Big 12 combined. So my concern now is, will these schools bully the SEC? Will they come in and get their way? And the first thing we're going to see that reflected in is how they divide up these pods or divisions. So tell me more about your thought on this. You say that it's absolutely crazy that Alabama and Auburn moved the SECs. Why is that? Because you got to maintain some semblance of balance in the league. I mean, you know, and if you put Alabama and Auburn in the East with Georgia and Florida, you've got arguably four of the top five programs right there. And, and that's that's not fair to anyone. Um, you know, I think it'd be much easier to move Auburn to the East. It's, it's You know, in the past when the SEC's made changes, and, and we know this because they've asked Georgia to be the ones to, to bend over and accommodate them, uh, you know, that, oh, Georgia, can you play Auburn two years in a row just so everybody else has it easier? Sure, sure, we'll do that. Um, you know, okay, well, that needs to stop, number one. Georgia doesn't need to be making any more sacrifices for the league. Still waiting for that to pay off. Certainly didn't pay off with last year's schedule or the year before when they had five teams have a bye before they played them. Um, so, so I've got a problem with that. But, you know, it's a simple fix. You, you know, you move Auburn to the east, which they should have already been done. Uh, Auburn and Alabama become annual opponents. Georgia drops. You know, Georgia's going to play Auburn every year anyway if they're in the east. And Georgia picks up Oklahoma, and Tennessee picks up Texas. Everybody's happy. So uh, it's not necessarily that important, but do you not think that a Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida East, and a Texas A&M, LSU, Oklahoma, I guess say Texas the fourth, does that not seem fairly fairly balanced? No. I mean, I mean, no. doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair to me. I, I'm not. Where, gonna, where is the where is the imbalance there? Where's where's the imbalance there? Well, I think over the course of time, I, I think Florida's been better than LSU. If we want to go back to you know the 1990, I think Florida's better than LSU. I think Alabama is better than any of those teams. Well, I don't want to there. go back to the 1990s. That was 30 years ago. Um, but I well, mean, I think you need to if you're going to do an analysis. You know, anytime you do an analysis, Brandon, you don't just look back one year. You've got to look back over at least a, a five or a ten year cycle. And even let's if look we back, go back 20 years. years. Let's look back 20 years. Has Florida been a better okay, program? I still think Florida is better. I, I still think Florida is better. Florida is better, in my opinion. Florida is better than LSU. Auburn's better than Texas A&M. Georgia's better than Oklahoma, and Alabama's better than Texas. Well, okay, there you go. Do you think divisions is the way they'll go instead of the, you know, people talk about pods or some people talk about like four-team divisions. Do you still think a two-division splits ultimately what the SEC will do? Well, what I think they'll do and what I would do may be two different things. I would stick with divisions because I like it that games in November matter in the, in the race to make the SEC championship game, presuming there will still be an SEC championship game with 16 teams. I would hope there would still be an SEC championship game, although once we start talking about a 12-team playoff, that, you know, that, that, might, uh, that might be a little tough. You know, there's been some speculation that there won't be any divisions, and I certainly don't like that concept. I suppose what that does is tries to ensure that the two top team plays without regard to division, but you know, with 16 teams, everybody's not going to play everybody. I mean, there's a lot of unintended consequences to this. Even if you go with pods, I would stick with divisions. I tend to think that that Greg Sankey, based on his previous actions over the last, I guess since he's been the commissioner in what 2013, is he's tried to, to he's had a defender strategy. He's tried to keep everything as close to the same as possible and keep everyone appeased. And I think divisional play would do that. Now, to your point, it, it does get sticky when you start talking about leaving Alabama in the West and. And I do think your point is fair to wonder, you know, could the SEC have already made a concession with Texas and Oklahoma that they would move Alabama out of the division if they joined? It's quite possible. Uh, those, those schools are very effective at negotiating and getting their way. I mean, Joe Castiglione uh, orchestrated keeping Georgia out of the playoffs in 2018 so Oklahoma could get in. Uh, it wouldn't be a stretch to suggest that there could have been some behind-the-doors negotiations because the transparency is gone. You know, to me... The SEC has lost my trust. For the most part, Greg Sankey has been a pretty stand-up guy who's been pretty transparent and upfront with most every act. But this was a backdoor deal, and I'm pissed off. It's wrong. They didn't tell anybody they were doing this. 
They announced it. They moved faster than anybody could react. It wasn't in the best interest of the fans. It's a money grab, and I'm disappointed. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, what's a bit amazing to me, Mike, is how quickly so much of this discussion, even though I think the Texas and Oklahoma news is just staggering news and uh, it's taken me a few days to even make, you know, kind of process it, how quickly so many other media voices have kind of moved on to the next thing. The idea that the SEC is going to add, you know, uh, other big name teams at some point in time as well, which is totally all speculation right now. But it's fairly recognizable names and respectable voices who are making this speculation. What do you think about the possibility that Texas and Oklahoma is just the start of, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, what almost looks like an SEC takeover of the entirety of the sport? Well, first of all, kudos to you for calling this the story of the offseason. I disagreed last week, but you were right, Brandon. It's the tip of the iceberg of the biggest change in college football. Uh, you sniffed that out quickly, uh, faster than most anyone else in the media that I was listening to. Um, now, that said, uh, you know some of these voices you're talking to were, were some of the same voices that were telling us there wasn't going to be college football next season or this season. So I'm, I'm not going to jump too quickly on a, any, any of those uh, steaming trains downhill. Not to say they're not doing their jobs. I'm sure there's plenty of talk and plenty of speculation, and certainly that, that, that fuels interest from fans. Uh, I have a real hard time believing uh, now, I never say never. I have a real hard time believing, though, the SEC could get bigger than 16 teams unless, as you said before I came on, uh, you know, the SEC just says nuts to you and, and we don't need a college football playoff. We're going to create our own league and, and leave the other sports within the NCAA structure. Now, that, that concept is interesting, the mini NFL concept. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, that's what they seem to be doing. And, and, and I know I said earlier I was quite upset. Probably, probably use the word that's too strong for Dog Nation Daily, but but they're turning it into the NFL, and I don't want that. Yeah, that's not college football. That's not what made it special. They're they're taking away uh, uh, something that we're all very passionate about, to use another P word, and and that we all take a lot of pride in for another P word, and um, in, in sake of a professional sport for another P word. And, and I'm not happy. I, I listen. I want college football. I don't want the NFL. I've got the NFL on Sundays, Brandon, yeah. and don't get me wrong, I like the NFL, and I like the NFL for being the NFL, but, but don't let some television executives pull some backdoor deal with the commissioner looking at us one eye and looking out the other eye, uh, you know, cutting these backdoor deals, and Lord only knows how many of these administrators knew about it and didn't share it or blow the whistle. We, we don't want the NFL on Saturdays. We want college football. And don't tell me this is the only way we can have it, because I don't believe that. No, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I mean, it certainly feels less like the sport that I've always loved. I guess I'm just sort of hopeful that it ends up not being as bad as it seems like it could be. Let me let me shift gears to a different topic while I still have you on the phone here for a moment. One of the things I talked about early in the show, something you also wrote about, whether it's Kirby Smart talking about Aziz Ojolari last week in an interview with CBS, or you know, talking about the need to cultivate playmakers and offense, when it comes to the things that I believe have held Georgia back from winning a national championship, not quite being dynamic enough on defense, although they took a big step in that direction last year in terms of the pass rush, not quite being explosive enough on offense, although there are certainly pieces in place that give you a chance to do that this year. I, I, I do like the fact that at least in my ears, to my mind, Mike, it seems like Kirby's saying the right thing ahead of the start of practice next week and the start of the season a few weeks after that. He certainly seems to be shining the spotlight on where I think it needs to be, You know, finding those guys that can go out and make the explosive plays for you and finding those guys that can do what Aziz Ojolari did very well last year, which is put quarterbacks on the ground there as well. It's hard to win talking season, but, but Kirby Smart has said a couple of pretty good things that I think kind of show that the uh, emphasis, at least for right now for Georgia, is where it needs to be. I would agree. More importantly, there's been action. I mean, I mean it's just, it, Kirby is not going to let anybody get comfortable. He's just not. He, he's going to talk about people gaining weight or being out of shape. And, you know, the players, you know, the players, I guess he's the only one that's allowed to come up with a slogan. The players come up with unfinished business, and he says, okay, you know, I'm going to hold you to that. Unfinished business means you better not gain weight or see He goes after him. I mean, he's just that parental. I mean, we all had that parent that was kind of up our tail on everything. And, you know, clean your room and take out the garbage, and Kirby just relentless, right? And, and that's the way a football coach is supposed to be, right? He's supposed to keep the guys. He's supposed to keep them motivated. But but what's so great about this offseason is the players are self-motivated. You know, JT Daniels and Jordan Davis and, 
You know, you, you see so many leadership figures on the team, and Jamari Salyer, Zamir White's out there, and Kiaris Jackson's, and Nicobe Dean's, and there's so many leaders and, and so many faces and figures that that are on a mission. And and I, and I like the, I like the tone, just like you. I like what I'm hearing from Kirby. Yes, there are plenty of things to address, and and I think it's glorious that they opened with Clemson, and, and Kirby came around and finally said it. Look, this is a great game to open with because you find out where you're at. Number one, it gets your attention the whole off season. If you're thinking about taking a day off, just you better know that Clemson's uh, about 65 miles away working yeah. on something. So that motivates you. But two, you play that game, and you're going to find out right away what your strengths and weaknesses are. I mean, you go out there and steamroll UAB or Vanderbilt or South Carolina, and you know you're kind of whistling by the graveyard, thinking you're pretty good. I mean, it kind of happened in 2018. You know, remember that? You know, they go down to LSU and kind of got a hand it to them. We thought they were pretty good on the offensive defensive line, and you know, LSU had a little surprise waiting for them. You know, unplugging the power at their hotel and then taking them down at the stadium. So, you know, this this is going to let everybody know where Georgia's at uh, right out of the gate. It's either going to be a, a momentum boost with a victory. It'll probably launch them to number one or number two in the in the Alabama polls over there. Uh, but but or or a loss that, that knocks everybody back a step and says, all right, it, you know, playoff mentality. Uh, got to win the rest of the games, and here's where we got to improve. So I'm with you. I think it's been a really good vibe this off season for Georgia. Uh, I haven't seen any Georgia players, uh, you know, really get in trouble off the field. That can sometimes be an indicator that people aren't all bought in when when players are getting arrested or or doing uh, inappropriate or irresponsible things. I think the one guy with an off the field issue transferred to another school. So. Uh, I think it's been a great offseason. All right, Mike, good stuff. Look forward to reading a lot more from you as practice uh, kickoff day approaches here at dognation.com. We appreciate you being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort today, and we'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you soon. Thanks, PA. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So good stuff all the way around there from our buddy Mike Griffith. We've got a fun SEC Through coming up there as well. It's also time for me to do something that I've really been enjoying doing this week, which is announcing our Kroger five-star kid winners. This has been so much fun. A uh, great one to give out today. Kaori Howard is the winner of our Kroger five-star kid today. We'll show you some nice pictures of Kaori. Uh, seven years old, entering the second grade. Uh, great thing. I uh, didn't miss, miss a beat last school year, which is a very hard thing for a lot of folks because you know clearly there were some challenges there taking classes virtually but still excelling math and reading skills sharp uh even even exceeding those expectations that uh were there for so uh, that's great stuff to see um she said listen to this this is some organizational skills i need to get a little bit more of she sets timers for herself so she never missed a class remained positive throughout the school year and welcomed all of her classmates with an open heart which is obviously one of the great things uh that any uh young young one can do for the other uh friends in her class uh congratulations uh, Kaori, our Kroger five-star uh, kid winner for today. And Kaori gets a great uh, gift card uh, pack that includes $100 to Kroger, $50 to Amazon, $50 to Dick's Sporting Goods, $50 to Domino's. So great stuff there uh, from our friends at Kroger. It's our Kroger five-star kid winner, uh, Kaori Howard, the uh, winner today. So congratulations, Kaori. Uh, Well-deserved there for you. As we roll on here for our SEC through, I want to talk to you about a couple of things here for a moment. So one of the things that we've uh, addressed before is the way in which the at one point in time, a robust number of defensive linemen that seem to be in play for Georgia for the class of 2022 has seemingly winnowed just a bit. That list may be a little smaller than it once was. I guess a name that you should at least keep a space in place for is the four-star Kristen Miller, who has put out his top four right now, and Georgia has made the list for his finalists. First of all, I think these graphic edits just keep getting better and better. We have this. Can we show that? Oh, do we have Christian Miller here? Maybe we Maybe we don't. Uh, the uh, graphic edits for this just keep getting better and better. Miller's got – maybe we don't have that. Let me see if I can do it by memory. It's Oregon. It's USC. It's Alabama. No, it's Ohio State and Georgia. Oh, there you go. Look at me. Every now and then I can, uh, I can pull off a uh, memory here. So Georgia makes the list with the two schools in the Pac-12, Oregon and USA, and Ohio State. I know that Miller took a pretty high-profile visit to Ohio State a few weeks ago so georgia in place there on all of that uh and we'll see how it goes i would not say that right now georgia if, if there's a if there's a more exclusive club than a top four maybe georgia's on the outside of that looking in right now but obviously still here a hat on the table which is a nice thing to be able to see and of course continuing to look for that news on travis shaw walter nolan who's got a new high school home there in knoxville tennessee what's the latest news on guys like that as georgia battles you know a whole bunch of schools for nolan 
Clemson, North Carolina for uh, Shaw, maybe even the in-state power, North Carolina, as much as anything on that. So Georgia defensive line recruiting going to be a hot topic here as we roll on. Alabama got another commit yesterday, this time from an in-state wide receiver, Kobe Prentice, who looks like a uh, pretty good prospect all the way around. Prentice, though, is a three-star, which just goes to show you that, you know, sometimes even a program like Alabama occasionally takes the three-star that, that you know, even when you're recruiting 80, 85% four- and five-star players, there's still the three-star guy that occasionally gets identified. Georgia identifies some of its own. Alabama, in this case, identifying Prentice, thinking that's a guy they want to make a part of their 2022 class. By the way, speaking of Alabama and Nick Saban, I thought it was interesting that Saban has kind of spoken about you know what he expects to happen when it comes to expansion and kind of ready to welcome that. He and uh, Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates kind of both you know kind of giving their statements on that. But I was thinking about Saban in particular related to one thing because. I would say that if, if he was ever going to be totally candid about his feelings on expansion, Saban's opinion on this might be as interesting as anyone. Because here's the thing we know. Saban is a tenacious competitor. And listen, I like taking jabs at Saban. I like picking at the Alabama fans. I like, I've, I've been very candid about this before. There's nothing I love more than picking against Alabama and having that turn out to be true. You know, picking Auburn in the SEC West in 2017 picking LSU to do that in 2019 that when you have a chance to pick against Alabama and it works out you just feel really smart for doing so because it's just kind of boring with Alabama always at the top I've been very very honest about that however even with all that said you know I'll give Nick Saban and Alabama credit Saban in particular for the way in which he's maintained that program even as he approaches now 70 years of age but one way or another, no matter how tenacious his competitive fire remains and no matter how focused and driven he remains, he is obviously a lot closer to the end of his career than he was to the beginning. I am curious to see for a guy that I assume at some point in time will say that he's ready to move on, how the new SEC changes all that for him. Does all of a sudden a guy that you know has clearly been driven to win additional national championships the way that he overhauled his staff after the 2018 loss to Clemson kind of proves this a guy that's been so driven in all of this does all of a sudden the presence of a Texas and Oklahoma and the chance to now win an SEC that includes these two additional powers I wonder if that motivates Nick Saban even more I I wonder if all of a sudden Saban wants to do this even more and if you want to make this about Georgia for a moment I think it's actually kind of a cool time to be Kirby Smart. Whereas Nick Saban knows one way or another his career is almost done, whether it's one more year, five more years, whatever else, he's almost done. You know, Smart is still a very young guy. And Smart's got his entire coaching career still in front of him. Vince Zilli coached at Georgia for 25 years. Uh, you know, Smart could have another two decades at the helm there at Georgia. And all of a sudden now, as he comes into his own as a coach and as the Georgia program that he leads comes into its own as a program, He's doing so in a way that gives him potentially, if you want to have the most positive spin possible on this SEC expansion, the most positive possible spin is this, that Smart is coming of age as a coach at a time in which winning the SEC will have never been more prestigious than it's about to be. And for Georgia fans who want their program to be the top program in college football, to win the version of the SEC that's about to exist, whether it's at 2022 or starting in 2023 or sometime after that, win that sec become the dominant program in that sec and there will be no question marks as to who the very top program is in college football so as luck would have it you know as the alabama program gets ready to sunset a bit with the eventual retirement of nick saban maybe the sun's shining on georgia at just the right time with the sec about to provide a springboard for for fame and springboard for credentialing and gravitas in a way that even the 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 dominant version of this conference of the last couple of years would not have been able to provide so maybe just kind of something to think about there on that one more story i want to get to for a moment and look this drives me crazy so david shaw gets up there at um uh eight pack 12 media it's not media days by the way it's just media day <laughs> there, there, there aren't multiple days with the media out west of the pack 12 it's just one media day and i'll read you this tweet brady mccullough writes it so stanford coach david shaw was asked about alabama quarterback bryce young making and i want to use air quotes here although that's not what this reporter does making nearly a million dollars in nil according to nick saban uh david shaw says that's not market value that's alabama value here's my solemn plea to david shaw 
stop trying to make Alabama sound cool. Like, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, kind of comes across as a little bit of, uh, is, this, is this what we want college football to be? But the way in which Shaw says it makes Alabama sound cool, which kind of drives me crazy. And what drives me even more crazy than that, and this is where I'll get on my high horse for a moment. So I read the story ESPN.com about what David Shaw said. And, you know, there's like, like I'm not a writer really by trade, but, you know, there, there, there's like the whole bottom half of the story is usually kind of catching up on the backstory for what led David Shaw to say what he said. And in nowhere in that kind of, I guess, you know, bottom half of the story where you're kind of telling the story up until this point, you know, at no point in time does the writer for ESPN point out the fact that Nick Saban was very likely, if not outright lying, at least exaggerating his statement beyond it being true. David Shaw may may actually think that Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, is making a million dollars because that's what it's been reported that it was. Even though Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports last week, in the midst of praising Nick Saban for lying about this, admitted that multiple sources told him it probably wasn't true. Yet here we are all these days later, still treating the Bryce Young story as if it was is 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 no one under any obligation to actually point out what's actually happening with all this so that guys like David Shaw aren't this confused about the facts I apparently am I'm the only one that cares about that but uh, nonetheless uh pretty interesting stuff all the way around David Shaw making Alabama sound like some sort of hero for getting Bryce Young a million dollars I still want to see that tax return before I'm going to believe that's the actual money that Bryce Young's getting either way we'll make that your SEC through and I want to go back for our Gator Hater roll call today to a spot we were yesterday. Obviously, there is big news in the throne shoe world when the uh, baby, the uh, 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 musical star, was talking about being you know had a shoe thrown at him. Uh, Marco Wilson actually somewhat I thought very humorously and in kind of self-deprecating fashion kind of joked about that on Twitter being the one that throwed through the shoe. Well, our buddy Forestry Dog, who always sends us uh, tremendous edits through the comment section there dognation.com has actually taken the baby video and he's actually put the golden shoe on there this is very clever very well done so the actual shoe thrown at baby ends up being the golden shoe which is i don't think i ever thought we'd be talking about baby on two consecutive shows here on this program but nonetheless forestry dog you're our golden shoe winner for today how about our gatorator countdown 94 days from now georgia get some revenge against florida we'll see you tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by harris cherokee casino resort and on the podcast, I'm now for R.S. Andrews podcast, Cooled In. I got a really good comment I'm going to read here to you in a moment. Let me remind you, though, R.S. Andrews, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. You find them online, rsandrews.com. That air conditioning unit that's, let's face it, maybe a little tired on its last legs. You can get it tuned back up to its factory fresh specs. It's just $99. You can find them online, rsandrews.com. So Dog 85 writes this in. And I think this is... Uh, an interesting analogy, but also kind of an interesting larger point. And this is kind of mentally where I am on SEC expansion. He says the expansion plan must have been in the works for months. He says they, meaning the powers that be, did a great job of keeping this a secret until they were ready for it to get leaked. And he says, and during the SEC media days with Texas a at the podium, no less. He says, and this is interesting. This reminds me of the morning when we woke up and found out the Braves were moving to Cobb County. What a surprise that was, despite the naysayers, the Braves Stadium, the battery have been a huge success. Maybe conference realignment will be too. He says, maybe, question mark. And I want to be careful how I talk about this because this is one of those things ends up feeling a little bit like politics if you say too much about it. But there were plenty of reasons to be concerned about the Braves move from you know Turner Field to, to uh, what eventually became Truist Park and the like the political maneuverings that that led to all of that and there were lots of reasons to you know ask questions about that and we won't get into some of that stuff you know here right now but there were some reasons to ask questions and you know frankly when I first heard about it and you know just kind of given the way that some of it played out I mean I have to say Braves moving from Turner Field to a new ballpark when the old ballpark was only 20 years old I guess I kind of wondered if that was a good thing, too. It just seemed really weird that, and as Jim describes it perfectly, like one day out of the clear blue, this announcement gets made, and it was just a huge, huge surprise, and it was kind of announced once all the ducks were in a row row for it to start happening. And at first, I thought that was a bad thing. And maybe even in retrospect, some aspects of how the Braves moved and did all this, maybe that wasn't you know the perfect thing to do, the right thing to do, whatever else, but ultimately, am I kind of glad that, 
Truist Park exists? Am I kind of glad the Battery Atlanta exists? Yeah, I'm kind of enjoying it. Uh, it's it's enhanced my quality of life to go see games there. So in a roundabout way, I guess it has kind of turned out to be better than I first assumed that it probably would. And that's not a perfect analogy, but it is somewhat similar that there are there is a lot about SEC expansion that I really, really don't like. There's a lot about it that I think threatens the 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 kind of romanticism that has made college football, you know, something I've enjoyed so much. But there's also a chance that I'm just wrong. I mean, I'm wrong about a lot of things. You know, maybe this becomes like anything else, something that we just eventually get used to. I found myself saying that a lot lately, that big change feels like a threat to college football, but it's not always bad. Sometimes it leads to something that's at least you know, similar to what you once in, enjoyed. And in some cases, maybe it's even better. I mean, the notion of Texas and Arkansas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma all playing each other more, that sounds like pretty good football to me, especially when you've gone so long without seeing Texas play Texas A&M when that rivalry has been kind of a Cold War type rivalry now for as many years as it has. That seems like it could be kind of a cool thing. You know, just a deeper, better SEC where maybe Georgia's playing more games like that and fewer games against the UABs and the Charleston Southerns, the kinds of teams that it's playing this year, that seems like it could potentially be a good thing there too. I mean, if I was like the czar of college football and I had the power to stop this, I would. Remember like uh, many years ago when David Stern blocked the trade of Chris Paul to the to the Lakers and you kind of cite, you know, uh, strength of the game type reasons for doing so. Um, if I had the power to block this, I probably would do it. I would rather there be a little more national parity in the sport. I like the SEC being the best league, but I like having other leagues to compare the SEC to in order for that to be true. And so this is a change that I think is a change for the worse, but at a certain point in time, you just sort of have to buckle your seatbelt, get involved with it, and hope that it ends up being better than you anticipated it could be. And that's at least a possibility with all of this, that um, – you know, college football for a sport for you know one in the century was very resistant to change. I mean, this the sport that I grew up loving had almost no mechanism for determining a national champion whatsoever. And you know, if we'd never embraced any change in college football, we'd have you know some version of that where you didn't even get best teams in the country playing each other near the end of the season. You got you know the champion from one league playing like the second runner up from another league and you had a lot of teams at the end of the year claiming they were the best because no one was able to prove otherwise during the season because they weren't playing anybody of any real substance. And so clearly the sport has evolved for the better since then and who's to say this isn't maybe the next iteration of that. I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. The who is to say has been me frequently, but at a certain point in time, I guess I'm willing to see how it all plays out. So that's kind of where I am on that. It's interesting to hear Jim Dog 85 there on the page of dognation.com say something similar. Appreciate you being a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. This segment is better and more enjoyable when you share your thoughts. So either on Twitter at dognationdaily or in the comments section at dognation.com. Appreciate your insight and your feedback. And we'll do more of that back here again tomorrow. We'll see you then for the R.S. Andrews cool down and on Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Appreciate you stopping by, everybody.